This is Season 3, Episode 7 of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast all about upping your game. Doesn't matter if you're a game master or a player, you'll find advice, ideas, and some strong opinions. Tonight's episode is a system dive on Call of Cthulhu, or I'm not afraid of no ancient horror. Or you can never have enough timeless, mind-eating, undulating terror eyeball tentacles. Ha ha ha. Welcome to Mastering the RPG. Like I said, a tabletop RPG podcast. We're all about uh, ideas, cool stuff found, and some strong opinions. We hope you find something interesting in it and get something out of it. I'm Carl with my co-hosts, Eric and James, and you can find information about what we're doing at masteringtherpg.com. You can send us email, feedback, questions, anything you want at gamemaster at masteringtherpg.com. Again, that's gamemaster at masteringtherpg.com. Well, gentlemen, once again, it's great to talk to you, get you on the mics. Um, so lots of cool stuff going on, uh, but we'll start. Uh, Eric, what you got going on? How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing good. Uh, just got over a little weird cold. Um, I So last time we talked, I was in the midst of Heist Fest. I finished that. Just re- really fun session. Um, I was working on doing a Cyberpunk Savage Worlds thing, but then... These people who are interested in Savage Worlds, they want to do kind of a superhero thing when we talked about it. So now I'm pivoting to a kind of post-apocalyptic superhero, mildly cyberpunk, uh, you know, creature feature, just mix of stuff. So I've been developing that. And I'm just starting to get stuff on paper. Um, so I'm excited because of a lot of non-Savage Worlds players. So I think it'll be really cool. And I love superhero stuff. Yeah, so. you love the superheroes companion uh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Sounds like a lot's uh, about to go on, and you'll have a busy, busy schedule coming up for sure. Um, <laughs> One good dream, I guess. Yeah. And speaking of busy schedules, James, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'm good. I'm I'm right in the middle of it right now. Uh, six games last week, five games this week. It is it is kind of everything coming to an end at a mad rush. Um, very excited. I got to play uh, last Friday, which was really really lovely. I played a. Uh, um, a game of Die, which is kind of an independent um, uh, role-playing game based on a comic. Um, so it's a role-playing game kind of like Jumanji where you get sucked into a role-playing game. So you're role-playing a, a, you're role-playing a person who has been sucked into a role-playing game, kind of interesting thing. Lots of great free-form storytelling in that where we collaboratively talk. It's much less Dungeon Master talk, player talk. It's much more kind of everyone gets a bit of a say and, shape the world so it was a bit epic bit of a two-parter we did that over a couple of months so um a new system for me and really really loved it but apart from that it is dungeons and dragons end of year destruction at the moment just doing final bosses and getting kids on board and kind of finishing up the year for a lot of different things so it's uh it's happening very very fast and i finished a chapter of call of cthulhu on the weekend um, which is really amazing. We're running uh, Masks of Nyarlathotep, the uh, kind of epic Call of Cthulhu game. So it's kind of fresh in my mind, uh, having just done it, having just done a session on Saturday. So yeah, very busy. Very cool. Very cool. Well, myself, I've got weird stuff. Um, obviously, I'm playing my game, but I got a stream deck for like my birthday. And the oh, first thing yes, I wanted, I've been watching this. Yeah. Yeah. The first thing I wanted to do was write a dice roller for it. So I wrote it. <laughs> yeah, Eric knew I was going to do that. So, um, so I wrote first a Savage Worlds dice roller, 
so that uh, one button I can, you know, when I'm playing the Savage Worlds game, I don't have to roll it on Foundry. I just push a button on my stream deck and it would tell me a number that I can use. And then I got a general one that I'm just getting done too. So it's that's been a lot of fun. And I've got a new Savage Worlds song, um, fan song that I'm just completed that will be debuting on a live stream. I plan for the anniversary for our Tabletop Tango channel. That's when I'll de debut that. Whether people want to hear it or not, they're going to hear it. So, um, <laughs> like I said, weird stuff. Totally weird stuff that I'm working on. It has... I probably should spend more time prepping my game and less time writing software for stream decks, but you know, it is what it is. So, <laughs> well, all right. So really cool. Um, so tonight, um, why don't we just, uh, we don't have an email. We talked about my cool stuff. And so why don't we just get right to the main topic? All right, everyone, welcome to the main topic. And we talked about we're going to do a system dive of Call of Cthulhu. And our master of ceremonies tonight is going to be Eric. He's going to walk us through questions for James, who is our Call of Cthulhu expert or plays it lots and lots and lots. So he just mentioned he's in the middle of a big epic campaign. So we'll we'll learn something from him and hopefully uh, get a little deeper than you might normally get in just a quick online review really understand the game and kind of what it feels like so eric take it away yeah so um i mean i think we're just gonna kind of assume that some people listening to this have never heard of maybe even call of cthulhu but that seems crazy but who knows no. but um yeah i mean first things first james like if what's the elevator pitch you would say for the game like if somebody stopped you on the street and you were like i'm gonna play call of cthulhu and they were like what's that what would you kind of respond yeah, right. Uh, Call of Cthulhu is uh, historic, I think you could say, a historic mystery horror game. Uh, it's probably the best way I can describe it. You play an investigator where you're investigating mysteries that lead to supernatural horror, and often these games are set in different time periods, most often the 1920s and 1930s. So we're gangsters and we're librarians and we're kind of, you know, kind of cruising around in old cars in old, in old cities hunting down mysteries that ultimately turn into horror. Um, I think I do need to kind of start at a, at a position as well. Uh, Call of Cthulhu is in the majority being derived from an author named H.P. Lovecraft's work um, who, who did some work in the 1920s and 1930s. Lovecraft is a very, very difficult figure. Um, I think you could call him racist would be kind of a, a nice way to put it. Um, he had some very significant issues with people uh, 100 years ago, um, and this game is based on a lot of his writings, but more importantly, based on writings that have come thereafter. So it bases on H.P. Lovecraft as a genre rather than a direct homage to that writer, if that makes sense, because uh, I just want to get that out early, out in the clear, because uh, Lovecraft has some problems with him, I yeah, think. That's very important to bring up, and I just want to throw to uh, another podcast real quickly. One of my favorites called Imaginary Worlds, which I highly recommend to everybody. It's one of my favorite podcasts, and he actually did an episode about Cthulhu and about black writers, like writing books in that space and kind of separating art from artists and what does that mean and kind of turning it on its head. So I definitely recommend people check that out because it's a really, really interesting episode where he interviews people like the person who made Cthulhu Country, wrote Cthulhu Country, and a bunch of other black writers. So uh, really interesting. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, James. 
Um, and there's some great content available in the game for it as well. So sorry, I just needed to put that yeah. out there, not to put it, put it down Perfect. on it, but it's important we talk about. Anyway, continue. Yeah. Uh, so what would you say is, is it more of a narrative game kind of, or like crunchy, like mechanical, or is it somewhere kind of in between, you would say? Um, it's it's very narrative in that, in that it is a mystery game. So that a lot of the game is about putting the clues together, following up leads, under, trying to get an understanding about what's at play. So it's a, it's got a bit of a Stranger Things vibe to it as well, you know, that mm. you, you're kind of trying to figure out what's going on in the town and then ultimately confront this kind of awesome horror, hopefully forewarned and forearmed. So because of that, the game re- relies on very simple systems. Um, Chaosium, who's the, guy that, who's the guys that print Call of Cthulhu and have created it, um, base themselves on literally a, a role-playing system called the basic role-playing system. So it's it's very much a very simple dice roll to get the game going. It's not clunky at all in terms of um, understanding distances and powers and lots of things like that. So yeah. very, very simple um, premise to the game, very simple mechanics to the game because a lot of where you need to be focusing and, and focusing your energy on is about this mystery, about this unfolding, creepy, horrific mystery that you're about to go down and, and kind of explore together. So is it often theatre of the mind or people use maps too? I tend to only use theatre of the mind. That's what that's my preference. Um, I find that grid maps kind of bog things down in, in a lot of ways that Call of Cthulhu's system just allow you to do very, very simply. Mm, okay. um, a lot of the rules are, are about, you know, uh, if you want to, jump out of the way of, of, of the gunfire, well, you don't need to know if it's five foot, ten foot or whatever. You you kind of make a roll to yeah. dodge and you've avoided the gun as opposed to I need to be within five feet, ten feet. It doesn't really get into that mechanics. Yeah. It, um, it, yeah. It doesn't really have tactical combat in general, really, does it? No, it doesn't. And there's another great reason for it too. The things that you likely would want to be fighting are so ridiculously deadly in this game because it is a horror game that often it's a bit it's, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to have a map because this thing will be ending your life very very soon but i digress it is a, it is a horror game i mean it is a mystery yeah. horror game so a lot of what you're encountering is not and, and there's a bit of a disclaimer here this is not like your normal dungeons and dragons you're not necessarily the heroes of this game um, in often ways you're the victims or you're the you're the unfortunate <laughs> investigators that happen to be here at the wrong time. Yeah. Um, a lot of my games, particularly convention games, very few people survive them. So Call of Cthulhu is a, is a different game in that it's far more deadly, far deadly than, uh, deadlier than, uh, than a normal game of D&D. And that then changes the way that things like combat are run um, because they really do simplify the rules. Yeah, so like, I mean, you said what the genre is. It's a horror, it's a mystery game. How important is kind of the the time period to that, like how that interacts? Like, is it because it's kind of like that post-industrial, uh, like, you know, pre... Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think... Like, how, that, how does that interact? Like, how does that make that better that it's set in the 30s where... Um, there's a, there's horrors, a couple of things. Right? Yeah. Call of Call of Cthulhu um, has a, a number of um, time periods that they encourage you to play. So yeah. the late nineteenth century, the eighteen nineties, the gas lit kind of era of yeah. Europe is, is something that they they love looking at. Um, in the nineteen twenties, thirties, America in particular, but that seems to have stretched worldwide in terms of what Chaosium have put out since. Um, and then the nineties seem to be the next recovery, oh, re- resurgent kind of time period to set a lot of this material in. And I think there's a couple of reasons for this. I think it's pre-internet, so you can't just Google what the problem yeah, is. You yeah. go, oh, I found it. Um, it's pre-cell phone, so that you can't just immediately call for help. You still have the barriers of yeah. um, 
of, uh, of mystery, uh, like, mobility and mystery, so yeah. that you have like to actually kids on use bike, the noodle. Kind of, like yeah, how kids yeah, on bike very much like that. Yeah, um, and when you're running a game of Call of Cthulhu, um, I love setting games in my hometown. It's like if you're a bit of a history nerd and you kind of like understanding what's what happened in the 1920s and 30s or the 1890s in your town, there's no better way to figure it out than run a Call of Cthulhu game set in your own place. It's um, it's it's kind of really interesting and really awesome. A lot of the Call of Cthulhu stuff I do, you end up doing a lot of research. You know, lots of images of what did Nairobi look like in 1925? You know, <laughs> oh, what when was the lunar eclipse in 1927? You tend to kind of dig these clues out because that's what make the game fun. So these kind of puzzly games make it really, really interesting. Nice. Um, so how how new player or new GM friendly would you say it is? Like if somebody's not very familiar either with tabletop games at all or just kind of new to the hobby, um, how 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 yeah how how friendly is it to them? New, new player, I think, are very very friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've found it much easier to get people playing Call of Cthulhu than Dungeons and Dragons. I've found it much easier to get them into a game than a fantasy genre game. And I think the reason why it's easy to visualize a movie. You know, you can kind of set it in a gangster movie and understand that you're you two are gangsters and you're the mechanic and you're here to to kind of check out what's been going on because you haven't heard from the boss for a week. Very easy for people to kind of make that connection. You've got lots of um, things like Indiana Jones that allows you to kind of instantly talk about archaeological dig sites and these kind of, you know, mysterious kind of places. Um, Really easy and and to grab hold of. For GM-friendly, it's a little bit tricky because... um, to do, you can get into it and get it get it done pretty simply. Um, in terms of, there's some tricks to the trade in some ways because it is a horror game. So the idea of how you could get creeping doom and this kind of emerging fear that would appear, so that people are afraid rather than rather than uh, demoralised in terms of how yeah. the game can kind of impact. So so it is simple enough to run in terms yeah. of the mechanics aren't difficult. But the mood you put a lot more effort into. Yeah, so. it's not so. It's not so much of a technical challenge as far as learning rules and how those interact. It's more of like knowing how overall, like telling the story correctly and having good pacing narratively that makes it kind of challenging maybe for some new GMs. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, look, there's some really great um, beginner material out there. The starter, the starter sets are really excellent for Call of Cthulhu. So, um, you know, if if you are going from another system and just want to try something new, that the, it's not difficult to, to find easy material to run. Either. Okay. Um, and, a, and a lot of this game is set up perfectly for one-shots. Um, one-shots or two-session mysteries, um, I, I find that you can you can get a very good solid story done in about four hours with Call of Cthulhu um, and, and one with a satisfying conclusion, you know. Apart nice. From everybody died but before you died you realized what it was that killed you that kind yeah of <laughs> so this is might be a little bit of a, a, a sideball but like can you play this with kids like is there a way to play this with younger the younger players in mind um i've never done it and i don't know how it could be okay. done <laughs> so, um no <laughs> yes so no okay, is no that's, is the that's, a good, that's a good answer that's um, you need to elaborate and that anyway. i've i've heard of people that have done the the Wii meter, you know, you see something uh-huh. that scares you, so you Wii a little bit. I've heard of that kind of stuff happening. Um, I've never tried it. I've, I've got to say yeah. it is a bit of an adult uh, concept game. You For know, sure. you want, you know. Like you intellectually, in- just to understand the narrative and just what the stakes are and kind of dealing with existential horror, right? That's kind of that's yeah. an adult type of thing. 
Yeah, that's right. And there are some very mature themes that we'll explore in a little bit in some of the key mechanics of the game. Um, we, we deal with uh, mental illness in a major way in this okay. game, and it is a deadly game. So, so lots of so it's horror. There's there's body horror and all, all sorts right. of stuff. So, that, that yeah, occur. yeah. So, so let's let's so let's roll into that then, right? Let's yeah, exactly. Let's let's, let's roll into mechanics. Then you started talking a little bit about those. Um, let's talk about the basics. Um, so the basics for the game system is it's a percentage-based game. So you've got a percentage chance to do anything in the game. You climb a wall, you've got a 20% chance. You can speak French, you've got an 80% chance. You can shoot a pistol, you've got a 70% chance. So everything that happens in the game is reduced down to a percentage and you roll percentile dice, which is the ones that no one ever uses for other games, ones with the double digits and the single digits, the two D10s. That you roll together, and if you roll underneath what you've what your score is, you've succeeded. You've done it. Fantastic. If you roll under half the score, then that was particularly hard, and you've done it particularly well or quickly. And then if you roll under a fifth of it, then you've done it extremely well, a critical success. Mm. Okay, so the, so the basically, no matter what problem that you deal with in this game, you're dealing with the levels of success. Did you fail? In which case, you just failed. Did you succeed or did you hard succeed or did you extreme succeed? And often you're comparing that to someone else. So two boxes set up in the ring. One hits the other. Oh, I regularly succeeded. The other one hits the other. I half exceeded. And so the half guy wins. So often there's not this kind of I roll, I hit, I miss. And often the, you're doing lots of things all at once, and it's just whoever kind of comes out on top, which makes so, it really, really interesting. So, is there any do do GMs ever set up? So, there's no like uh, 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 there's no like target numbers, right? There's no difficulty yeah, numbers. Yeah, or, there are, but that's what oh, we're okay. talking about. Oh, yes, you can do this, but you'll need an extreme success. You'll need to get under oh. a fifth of your number. Okay. So, so that's kind of how you how you can kind of set the difficulty. Or often they'll say, what do I know about this? I'll roll archaeology. Oh, I get an extreme success. Well, then you can kind of tell them everything. Got you know it. what I mean? Okay. You can kind of give them all the clues that might relate to that stuff, which is um, so, so a very simple game. Um, you get bonus and penalty dice, which is exactly like advantage and disadvantage. You just add a dice, take off a dice. You can have up to two of each. So you can surround yourself with really good conditions to try and get uh, excellent dice, so a nice, a nice library, a cup of cocoa, a roaring fire, and a cat on your feet while you're researching kind of evil cults, then you might get bonuses to your dice roll, that kind of stuff. Um, so very, very simple mechanics. Um, everything is generally out of 100. Um, so there's basic stuff. Your basic attributes are similar to any of the other games. You've got appearance. You've got education. Um, and there is a massive bank of skills that you can kind of put numbers to. So it's really interesting. It's a very skill-based game. Um, so no matter what you can think of in 1920s time, there'll be a skill for it. Are you piloting aircraft sure. or are you, are you a chemist? Are you a, uh, do you, are you an explosives expert? Do you know the survival of Alpine Alaska? Like there's a skill for any of it. You can kind of uh, focus your character as much as you like. Um, but there are some set ones that are particularly good at Call of Cthulhu. Listen is a great skill. Spot hidden things, great skill. Library use, so that you know how to research what who you know who made that high house haunted on the hill. Those kind of skills are really, really important. But literally, there's you know 30, 30, 40 skills that you have a percentage chance in. So it makes it an interesting uh, for an interesting game where you can be quite specific about what you're good at, 
And what you're good at is based on your profession and what you like to do as a hobby. So we're not really talking about kind of massive skill trees and huge supernatural kind of powers here. We're really talking about a general person in the 1920s or 30s. What about, so real quickly, what about like combat? How does combat, the pacing of combat go or like initiative or anything like that? Combat's really interesting. Initiative is set on your dexterity score. So um, you you don't roll initiative. You just get people to sit in order of who's got the highest dexterity to lowest dexterity. You get started and it just goes from highest to lowest. So, um, you know, the zombies have got low ones. So generally all you, so there's a logic to it. If your character is fast and agile and you put points in dexterity, you will go first. It's kind of. There's not any uh, any chance on that. Um, essentially, you get pluses and minuses to hit, bonus and penalty dice to hit, depending on what you want to do in combat. So if I want to shoot you once, it's a normal gunshot. If I want to shoot you twice, it's a gunshot with a penalty dice. So I want to shoot you three times, it's a gunshot with two penalty dice. It's So it, you kind of work out that, and, and then you work out you know whether you hit or miss. Uh, combat is extremely dangerous. I mean, the um, investigators in Call of Cthulhu have very few hit points and healing is is almost, it's very difficult. You, <laughs> yeah. you 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 get a hit point back a day. Okay. Um, so there's no magical healing here. It's not like you can lay on hands and suddenly heal someone. Yeah. Uh, you, if you're if you get a first aid to to get to you quick enough, then you get a hit point. And then if a night's rest, you get another hit point. So um, you know it's it's very it's not a combat heavy game if that makes sense. With with a caveat, I should I will mention something a little bit. So on that, uh, you did bring up magical healing. So is there magic? Like, can, can players learn yeah, there magic is. or rituals there, there, or esoteric things like that? There yeah. is magic um, in that uh, there are ancient tomes of eldritch un, unknowable um, doom that you can access magic from. Um, but it, it relies heavily on the sanity system. And I haven't talked about this yet, but it's a very important part. I probably should talk about it. Another little caveat here, if I can. Uh, mental illness is a really serious issue. Uh, and in this game, it's reduced to a number between zero and a hundred. Um, and so that, that can be problematic in itself. But, um, so they do have a score called sanity where ultimately what you encounter and what you do in the game costs you both your health, but more importantly, it costs your sanity. The more that you discover, the more eldritch horrors, the more that you actually witness, the, the, the less grasp on reality that you have as the game descends, which makes it for some interesting role-playing um, as you play. Um, to access Eldritch Tomes, if you want to find out magic, then you do so at the cost of your sanity. So spellcasters, while they're in the game, they're essentially insane and often non-player characters because they've uh. touched the fire too many times. Um, Players have the opportunity on long campaigns to study books in ancient languages and learn the spells they're in, but doing so comes at a, a significant cost. Um, yeah, it, it makes it a, for an interesting game. Sanity is a, a huge part of it. Um, sanity as a mechanic is really, really interesting. It kind of has two forms. It has the immediate form of, oh, my God, I've just seen something that shouldn't exist, a colour out of space or a, or a monster out of time, that shouldn't be real, and so you roll against your sanity, against your current pool of sanity. Um, if you roll under it, then you're okay. If you roll over it, then bad things happen. So there's a descent as you lose sanity. You you tend to have worse and worse reactions to the things around you. And then that first first kind of contact sanity lasts a number of rounds. So it could be that you see red and just attack everything. It could be that you pass out outright. It could be that you scream 
in fear. It could be that you cower. It could be that you 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 lose you start ripping your hair out. There's lots of different interactions that you can have, and that happens in the combat, which makes it very very interesting when you've got half a group reacting poorly, the other half trying to defend. Another reason why it's deadly. But then you also have the ongoing effects of uh, of a of a brush with the horror, um, and so that there is um, there's longer term mental illness that, that creeps into the game if your campaign goes for that long. Oh, cool. Uh, so wow. what about like character creation? Like how's character creation go for, for most players real, real quickly? Yeah, so you have your basic building blocks of your character, strength, dexterity, constitution, size, intelligence, education, appearance, and willpower. Um, and you, you basically roll a number of D6 times them by 10 to give you your kind of percentage base. Um, and so you allocate where those percentages go to give you your basic building blocks. And then based on your education, you can then choose a, a career path that allows you to get a number of these skills that we talk about. And they're the basic skills you would expect. So you, you may have low education and you're a street boxer in 1920s Harlem. Like, no problem. That's something you could be. Um, you'll have skills that can reflect that. You're a, a, a pilot that is uh, a World War One flying ace that has retired and now runs kind of mail runs along the East Coast. You can do that too. You'll have the skills based on that. And then effectively you, you, you have a small amount of money based on, or a large amount of money, based on a score called the credit rating. So you could, one of the people in my game that I'm currently running is an heiress to a, a, a yachting uh, empire. So she just owns pleasure yachts that she can hire at any, at any uh, because she put a lot of uh, points into money. So you can kind of allocate that and then you're off. Um, character creation... Okay. I'm not kidding, takes half an hour. You can kind of smash one out very, yeah. very, very quickly. Oh, very cool. Now, real quick, so still on this topic, one thing that I've noticed with some narrative games, that if you're not in the right group or sometimes game masters don't want to speak up as much, but sometimes they're open to min-maxing abuse in a way where, like, you know, like I've played certain um, Apocalypse Engine games or, like, like Sentinels of the Multiverse where uh, a game master who's not kind of enforcing, like, okay, let's stick to the concept, right? Can Some players can kind of, bulldoze the game in a way is that does it can that happen in this game can somebody sort of like take advantage of its narrative nature to kind of make like a more stronger character than everybody else uh yes and no um again a lot of what what happens in the game is so horribly weighted against the players that yeah. it doesn't really matter if you're the butch guy with the you know the, the large submachine guns doesn't necessarily guarantee your safety um i think i think call of cthulhu has uh, bigger issues in terms of dominating the narrative rather than dominating, okay. min-maxing the, the game in, in, in that uh, it works perfect. It can kind of be hijacked by large opinionated bodies in because there's not as many times for each player to shine. It really is a collaborative game that you want everyone to kind of be able to, to be able to help solve the problem. So in some ways it, it kind of uh, it, it deals with, it, I've had more issues with um, headstrong people that are just bossing <laughs> in Call of Cthulhu. Okay. Say. Yeah. And just just finally, what's a little bit about character advancement? Like how does kind of leveling up work? Yeah, it's really interesting. So uh, each time you use a skill, you tick a box next to that skill. And then when there's downtime, which is effectively after the, you know, that the episode, I guess is what you could say, when you've got some time to have a bit of a think about it, uh, you roll dice against all the skills that you used. And if you roll under the skill, then uh, 
nothing happens. If you roll over the skill, then your skill increases. So as your skills go up, they become harder to actually advance in. But in the early stages of the game, or if you're doing a skill that you very rarely use, then that's a way that you can kind of advance. Often you'll nice. find that the things that you're used to, you kind of what, what your character's designed to do, you should be ticking the skills very early. You know, if if you're the if you're the jewel thief that's um, kind of researching the the, the provenance of, of this kind of ancient diamond that seems to be cursing everyone, you would hope they'd have stealth and and pickpocket and those kind of skills. So using them, you kind of um, embed what your character is about. Um, you can heal a very little bit in this downtime section, and in this downtime section, you can also um, you can also recover some of that sanity. And I, I kind of like the way that that Call of Cthulhu deals with this. Each character has a number of things that they hold true to themselves. They're kind of strong values or family members or places or objects or treasured possessions. And if you spend time with those things, then you can regain some of your sanity. Um, importantly, out of all the things that you hold true, you can claim one as, your, as a player that the, that the storyteller, the games master, can't destroy which will mean that as a player, you know, there's always something there where you can't be warped and kind of uh, and blow it up. So, um, so how there's often always is that, something. How often is that like little animals that they have? <laughs> there's there's lots of young children because they know that I'd be difficult with uh, with blowing up young children. So okay. yeah, exactly. Well, it's the, the cutest, loveliest thing. Yeah, their little absolutely. monkey that they have. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> cool, uh, Carl. Did you have any more questions about mechanics before we kind of move on to more kind of meta questions about the system overall? No, I, I, I I'm really looking forward to kind of thinking about what your thoughts are on the game. So I, I think we should just okay. run right into that that section, honestly. All right. So, so what do you think are the overall strengths of the systems for both kind of game masters and players? Um, let's go with games masters first, okay. I think. Um, the strength of the system is accessibility in that, the, in, the, in that you can play this with groups of players who have never played a role-playing game before. Like I find that uh, I've, I've, the groups that I play with with Call of Cthulhu are universally couples and there's far more women that play that I, in my experience than men. So I find it a very accessible game. Um, you don't have to be caught up in the fantasy world. You don't have to be caught up in post-apocalyptic cyberpunk. You can play this as kind of an easily referenced 1920s, everyone dresses up and looks gorgeous. You know, you can play someone in a, in a, in a dapper suit and tie. The accessibility of it is amazing. Um, the material that's out there is really comprehensive. Um, effectively, Call of Cthulhu has been going since the 80s. Um, and the system is, hasn't changed dramatically in that entire time. So you've got kind of 50 years of material out there wow. that you can kind of grab and run. You can kind of take any kind of supernatural horror you would ever possibly think about. It could be zombies or fish people or it could be tentacles from beyond or it could be space, space jumping hounds. It could be anything. And there'll be something out there that will, will, that will, will be easy to, to kind of run with. And a lot of the material that's come out in the recent kind of 10 years is super easy to run and super accessible to run so, so, so i think is, that's i think that's been the best things about so it's on it's at the seventh it's in the seventh edition and that yep. and stuff from the earlier editions just my understanding is they should just flow into seventh edition there's not there's not so much like you said that you can't easily reuse from older stuff to newer stuff even though it's in its seventh printing yeah it's all backwards compatible pretty much entirely so um it's all percentage-based. Uh, some of the systems and changes that they've made, some of the new rules they've brought in have been really, really great. 
and I, perhaps I should touch on them. Some of the great strengths that I find about the system is that uh, it makes complicated things relatively easy. They've got a great chase mechanic that allows for chases through crowded um, streets or on <laughs> rooftops or Got running away from stuff or through yeah, cornfields or, yeah. you know. Okay. Um, and chases are a big part of it, whether you're chasing through the crowd to find the cultists that's, that's stolen the diamond or whether you're running from, uh, you know, the creatures in at, at moonlight in the cornfields, important things. They do that really, really well. And relatively complicated stuff about how do you deal with mass submachine gun fire and a shootout and those kinds of things that can sometimes bog down games in a lot of in a lot of ways. Having this simple percentage dice, add dice, take away dice yeah. tends to be really, really simple. You know, there's not a huge there, there aren't huge tables with plus and minus bonuses. It's all about simple mechanics and and how that all works. So I find that all of that stuff's done very, very well. Um, and the mood's fantastic. You know, if you're into horror, if you're into a mystery, um, setting the mood is, is really, really wonderful. And the, the whole game is set up to help you do that. So one question that I thought of that I think I really want to know too, because I've never actually played this game, uh, is every game, is, is the adversary in every game, is it usually like one of the old ones or their cults like that you're facing? Is it always you're facing, you know, Hastor or uh, what is another one? Shub? Yeah, Shub Nigarath or Are you always facing them and their cultists or... Is it sometimes other things like that, or maybe are dabbling in those, but not, you're not quite going up against the cults? Uh, absolutely, it's the whole gamut of horror, so and okay. mystery. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be so it could um, just have those, vampires, those, Dracula. It could be just against exactly that a, a, a necromancer. Okay, yeah, it could be any of that stuff, and 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 all of it's kind of encapsulated. Where they where they really do their great, greatest work, though, is with the great old ones. These kind of Cthulhu esque ancient entities that yeah. live beyond the beyond our dimension that are affecting everything in the world you can use them and in particular with long campaigns you they're, they're best suited for that because you're you kind of work through the underlings of of these ancient entities to discover what's really pulling the strings which is the thing that makes you lose your sanity and and all that kind of stuff <laughs> of so it's really yeah. interesting the understanding of the world it has actually got its own skill it's called cthulhu mythos which means as you actually understand things, you get more points in this Cthulhu mythos. Oh, uh, interesting. The amount of Cthulhu mythos is subtracted from your total sanity pool. So let's say you get <laughs> okay. Cthulhu mythos of 50, uh -huh. your sanity will never be higher than 50. So, wow. um, so the more you know, the, the, the more well, insane sure you, you go. Yeah. <laughs> and so, that's a skill so that you can invest in. It's just over time as you as you learn things organically, that's, that goes into those yeah. points. Interesting. It goes into those points. And as, as you discover anything of the mythos, you gain points in that skill. So you don't even have the choice. You just will slowly lose your mind. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. very interesting. That's cool. Um, I, I have played this game in long, long, long form in that some of my camp, I'm on a campaign that's now been three and a half years running. Oh, um, wow. Um, and that's a, we play once a month and we play for five hours and we get all the props and we do all the clues and we do all that kind of stuff. Um, but like I say, chalk shark games are really, really popular as well. Um, most of the game books that you play are single scenarios. You don't tend to take your investigator over between scenarios. So yeah. you kind of do one, one and done kind of vibe. And so in a lot of ways, when you run a one and done horror game, it's fantastic because you know you're not surviving it anyway. It's like after the game, it's over. So uh, in a lot of ways, you might as well go out in a spectacular um, oh. a spectacular show of force. This is kind of as a player. It's really great to be able to 
kind of lean into the game knowing that you're unlikely to survive. <laughs> so uh, on the topic of long campaigns, is it normal for then you to kind of re-roll new characters often? Like uh, people die and then, so there's new characters kind of coming in all the time or can characters hold out? Back in the back in the in the olden days, and under normal Call of Cthulhu, you will go through a lot of um, investigators through it through the course of a campaign. Uh, Masks of Nalathotep is renowned for chewing out ten or twelve investigators throughout it. But there's been a recent edition change or a supplement to the edition that has made Call of Cthulhu massively more survivable. Yeah, I heard about this. This is what I wanted to ask you about. Yeah, go on. Sorry. And so this is the Pulp Cthulhu errata that nice. they've done, which does a couple of things. It provides an archetype to each of the characters that you get an archetype. So you might be a two-fisted kind of boxer. You might be an egghead. You might be a, a gumshoe, you, you know, this kind of 20s film archetype. You gain one of those, which gives you a couple of powers. So it kind of toughens you up a little bit. Your hit points almost double, and you can get up to three hit points a day as opposed Ooh. to one hit point a day. <laughs> oh so, so yeah. So, but bizarrely, it has helped. Um, and and the the big thing that you use a lot of in um, in Pulp Cthulhu is the luck mechanic. So in Pulp Cthulhu, um, you get luck points, so between zero and hundred. And if you kind of just miss. You can spend luck points to 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 oh, kind of turn the like miss into a hit. Okay. So say you need a seventy to hit with your your fist, and you roll a seventy three. I spend three luck points, and we'll we'll kind of change that. So it allows people okay. to be far more survivable. They can get through things far easier. Of course, I like to say when you're out of luck, you're out of luck. And often, as a as a storyteller, you get to um, roll dice to say I'd like you to do a luck roll now to see if you hold onto the cliff or whether you know, and so often the more you spend, if you ask for the ah. luck roll in the game, then bad things can happen. Got it. Um, in in Pulp Cthulhu, if you have thirty luck and you die, you can spend all your luck and come up with a miraculous reason as to how the hell you just survive. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, so the game is set up with pulp rules for you to actually survive. Okay, and that that changes the nature of these campaigns. So. Some there's been some two fantastic campaigns that have come out for, for Pulp Cthulhu. One's called the Two-Headed Serpent, which means you're dealing with uh, jungle cults of the serpent, and then the other one has been Masks of Nyarlathotep, which is kind of an, an, a really old, like we're talking thirty-year-old adventure that has now become survivable because Pulp Cthulhu allows you to survive it, which has been really so. Is is for, for for sorry, go on, Carl. I was just going to say, I'm assuming you can gain luck back over time. It's you can. You, you yeah. gain a, a small amount of luck at the start of each game. So oh, okay. uh, generally you have to roll under your luck. If you can roll under your luck, you're uh, sorry, if you roll over your luck, you get 2d10. If you roll under your luck, you get 1d10. So you could get a small amount or you could get a significant amount. And, oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, so would you recommend for new game masters who want to do a campaign that they should use the pulp rules, like overall probably, or...? I think it's the vibe you're going for, really. Okay. So if, if you are looking for a horror game where it is big, bad, and scary and you're doing it for a Halloween one-shot and and meant, and the idea is, is yeah. that one person survives it, don't go pulp, go, go traditional Cthulhu. If you want to have a game where you journey into the, 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 the decay of the mind and uh, the understanding of the more that you understand and the, the crazier you go, then don't go, don't go pulp. 
Um, but if you're looking for a more Indiana Jones-esque kind of that real pulp Tarzan kind of vibe, then it's been great. Um, really interestingly, um, a lot of the players I, I love are, are, who are playing with, um, who I'm playing with at the moment, are loving the Kenneth Branagh um, Hercule Poirot movies. I don't know if you guys have seen these, Murder on the yeah, um, Murder on the Nile and the, the latest one. There, that's if you're after that vibe, Pulp Cthulhu works really, really well. Okay, so it's not it's not so much of like I want to do a campaign and. Uh, it's just more for the style that you're going for. Like you can yeah. still do a campaign with without pulp, but just expect. expect tell your players play you're going to have to might make new play. You're yeah. going to have to make new characters, probably. Correct. Okay. So, so you, one of the techniques for a Call of Cthulhu campaign that I've done is, particularly if it's a globe trotting campaign, I've had my players create another character for each country they're going to go to. Okay. So just, that just all right, in case or like, just in case, because okay. that way you can, you know, see, so all right, everyone, right, right, right. You, you hop on the steamer to New York. <laughs> I needed to create five new characters in case you die in New York and everyone will make one. And wow. that way they don't feel bad about it because everyone's got a character ready to go. That's that's a good tip, Carl. Uh, yeah, that's a good tip. Uh, so, OK, what would you say just uh, uh, what, what are the weaknesses of the system for kind of GMs and players? Like, I don't know if any come to mind, but what, what would you say if there's any weaknesses? I think I think Call of Cthulhu is an interesting one in that if you're looking for power creep, like if you're expecting your character to do miraculous things and be getting kind of tougher and cooler all the time, Call of Cthulhu probably isn't your jam. You know, it, oh, this week I went from 86% to 89% in hieroglyphics. That's the kind of payoff that you get in terms uh, of character yeah. increments. So if you're really looking at that um, uh, kind of, the new spell lists or the new abilities or the new that kind of stuff if you're playing in, in a longer in a longer game it really isn't for you um well it's not it could be for you have a try you know what i mean it just isn't that kind of game yeah um it's all about the development of the character and understanding the puzzle understanding the puzzle that, that, that gets through and in any game that is beset by puzzles it can be frustrating at times you know in that in that you it's always tricky to not hide clues behind dice roll and I think we've talked about this before, that if you if, if, if suddenly people fail two or three dice and the morale of the group goes down and suddenly, oh, well, I'm out of ideas about where we would go for information about this problem, that can be a bit tricky. So you've, you've kind of got to, you know, that, that that's a bit of a weakness in the system in that, in that if you're not clever, if you're not careful about it, you end up with dead ends that are difficult oh, to kind okay. of dig your way out of, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because you don't just have the augury spell to go and, and ask the yeah, cleric. There's no you know, shortcuts, there's no yeah. magic. Yeah. Um, so in a lot of ways, kind of, yeah. the only the only shortcut that I've seen ever in Call of Cthulhu is money. So if you create a rich <laughs> character, you can kind of bribe your way out of things and pay for information. <laughs> hey, you have go. a yacht, right? So, you got a yacht. Life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <That's right>. yeah. <laughs> so it's the old the ultimate Eldritch horror is still there, which is great. So capitalism <laughs> still runs right, which is <laughs> Okay, so what would you say is your like very favorite part of running Call of Cthulhu games? I love narrating the action, and I love the creepy, spooking people as we go, as it's unveiled. Um, I'm, I'm a, I love creating scenes with words, so I really enjoy painting the picture of, of what, we're, what we're describing, and the action of it's really, really fun. Uh, I find it's easy to visualise in that you've got all these great movies, these action movies you can kind of put into. Um, and so it's, you know, the car chases make sense, running over rooftops makes sense, the crypts make sense, you know, you can kind of visualise it really, really well. 
So I love, I just love the setting and being able to kind of movie-fy my game in a lot of ways. What would you say is your favorite part of playing it when you're, yeah? My favorite part of playing it is when you get to role play all the dumb decisions. Like you do all the research, you understand that everything that is about you is going to kill you. You understand that that things are not great. You, you're kind of walking past all the warning signs and still role playing that dumb decision that you go in anyway. You open up the door and you, you walk in and you light the match and you stick your head in the hole and you do you do the dumb thing that knowing full well that it's going to be bad about it. So that's very different to how you role play in a lot of games. So I kind of enjoy that that. Um, you've got to risk it to win it. You've got to, you've got to, you, you know, you, you can't just sit still and be a non-participant. You've got to really get into the game, and 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 I love that part of it. Yeah, you definitely got to lean into it. You can't, you can't be somebody who says, "Well, why would I even go and do that research? I don't want to know this. I want to live my life. That's and right. Be a normal person. You really got to lean into it for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and the oh, I just call the cops. It just kind of is not the fun part of this game, you know. Oh my god, there's a guy that's sacrificing people in his backyard. I call the cops. Well, there we go. Well, the game ends with the police turning up. You know, you got to, you got to, you got to kind of get the yeah, mob. You've got to want to do it. Yeah, well, yeah. So yes that, and but, yes and all the the horror right <laughs> so that that changes the way that you play you know if you're used to trying surviving and you'll survive at all costs it's a very different mindset and a really fun one because you just get to kind of you know throw caution to the wind and see what happens so uh, i think you you you, you maybe may have brought up one of your house rules but is, is there anything you would change or are there any house rules that you would really recommend that you like using over and over again house rules i'm just trying to think which ones i use um to be fair, I don't mess around with 7th edition too much um, unless I've just talked about one and I can't remember what I talked about. Um, okay. <laughs> no, I, I tend to run it pretty straight. I actually okay. like it. I think I think it works really, really well. Um, yeah, I've got to say, this isn't a game that I that I mess around with. I've got to say, it it, it is so simple that it's there's not a lot you can kind of add to it. I mean, you can add things to it, but it's not much you can simplify things with it which is normally when I do a house rule, I'll simplify with a house rule. Um, I find that yeah. this one kind of doesn't require it. Um, uh, you know, I do a couple of house rules in that two can attempt something and one can assist another and, you know, that kind of stuff so I don't just get the whole table rolling dice because I find that extremely frustrating. Um, but, no, apart from that, no no particular house rules. Okay. Um, well, pulp rules I, I really enjoy. I think the pulp rules are definitely worth a go if you want to, if you want to, you know, funny romp and an action-packed game, and the pulp Cthulhu rules are the one for you. Okay, how about this? Which is kind of a twist on that question. Um, you know, especially with narrative games, you you have to be like you were just talking about with players. They have to be so invested. They have to be really buying into the whole shtick of it. So, how do you help maybe more inexperienced players really get in touch with their characters, both their strengths and their flaws, and their you know their character, all that stuff? Like, is there any tricks that you do for that specifically to kind of because, like you said before, I think like this is not a game about character progression as much as like mechanics as much as story progression right like your character's arc like that's the progression yeah. of the game so how do you people really how do you get people to really buy into that because i think that's something you've seen i've seen carl you, you know we've seen with certain kind of players that maybe struggle with that um and it's so important it seems in this game so it, it can be in that you can touch on that individual descent in, into into madness and understanding of cthulhu it does still allow you to play a very straightforward two-dimensional character if you wish okay. you know i'm the janitor that's good with the mop can also is also fine in a zombie film 
if you know what I mean. Like, so you you can play simplified versions. One thing that I do talk to players about is what might be the thing that they would revert to in case of severe mental stress if you fail that sanity roll. Have a think about how you might react to it because we can you can often but but have that decided before time so that you don't kind of end up with a situation of people making a beneficial reaction, if that makes sense. So would you be the fainter? Would you be the fighter? Would you be the flighter is something that you can kind of talk to? Um, but as per the usual ways to kind of get people into the game is often what you want to be doing is creating characters or have them creating characters whose skills align to the exact scenario you get into. That way you've got a direct link to how they might be able to uh, participate because you really want them to be able to problem solve. But, I mean, in a lot of ways, this is not a game where you have to think about what your character can do too much. There's a number of numbers on the on the, on the the sheet that will tell you that. It's just about how do I apply this situation. So in a lot of ways, it's it, it's not that difficult to kind of encourage new players in. So you can say, look, as a janitor, you know about these buildings. Is there something you might think about that you could help the group with? So you can kind of pull them in in a lot of ways. But it's not so much a character or an acting pull them in, mm. although that's often wonderful as well. All right. Well, now, I mean, just think any kind of final thoughts you have or questions, Carl? I mean, you must have a bunch of questions or any questions that we can think of. Well, I, I'm I'm really curious about. Um, so we talked a lot about um, the, the the. I'm really curious about how the mechanics beyond sanity, these simple mechanics, do they really do they add to the flavor of the game? Versus just the sanity, you know, there's these pieces, the sanity, the luck, and that's what adds to the flavor. But does this simplified, it's just D100 based, does that help with kind of the the working through a horror game in general? So like, I, I guess what I'm, because I've run into other games like Delta Green, which is also this kind of there's yeah. horror out there. And it's also a D100 system. So, yep. so I'm curious as, and it may be based on Cthulhu rules for all I know, but, um, it, it very much is. Yeah, it was. Yep. So Delta Green was kind of the Twilight 2000 meets Call of Cthulhu in a lot of ways. Yeah. That's how I would describe it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, but just sparklier. Okay. Yeah, that's right. So it's, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. You can have Eldritch Horrors, but we've got the tanks. So it's kind of how that Yeah, works. Yeah. We're still going to die, um, but, but, but it's still mechanic. Yeah. I, and that's, oh. I, it, it's tricky to kind of say, um, what I see is as the game unfolds. So let's say you kind of, add in, in, in the course of a, a single scenario, you would see a lot of very missed opportunities to get the full amount of information. So you might not have all the investigation and all the clues. So what you see is the group start to spend a bit of their luck as the game goes on to try and make those roles so they can get the clues, so they understand what, what the, the thing is dealing with. So the luck has gone down. So later on, if you require luck to get out of a problem, it's it's less. Um, you will find that as the stakes get higher, as the monster unwakens, as a combat might unfurl, then suddenly people are having to decide whether they spend a lot of luck to try and save themselves. So the monster has just ripped you through the you know through the torso. It's jagged, um, you know, jagged's claw has ripped through both fabric and flesh, and you can feel the pain. You've just missed your dodge roll. Do you spend 38 points of luck to dodge out of the blow? So the stakes get much higher as the game unfolds and as the as the horror unveils itself and as the attack occurs. Um, and so a lot of those dice rolls where you might have 
I, I get the dynamite, but I only have 20% throw chance to be able to throw the dynamite or not, and I throw it, and it and it hurdles through the air. And you know you've only got a 20% chance to stick in that role, but when the 20% happens, the crowd erupts, everything, it goes off, and it's a wonderful time. You know what I mean? And when you roll the 99 and it goes off in your hand and that's the end of your character, it's kind of that's where the stakes come in and that's where the kind of fun comes in. And so by having a very simplified system, I think that it, it, it just allows for simple dice, lots of cheering and that kind of vibe around the table, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, it's very, it's very cool. Definitely. That, that luck yeah. is a meta currency. Is a, I like games that have We love our meta currencies. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah, like meta currencies. I like, I like uh, and then, the player's and then with, options. So. <laughs> and then sanity is your slow burner. So, um, uh, so I've had more players in pulp games, for example, retire because their sanity had run out than had died and were unable to continue. So you, you actually, because over games, you just go, well, the sanity is the thing that the pulp rules don't help you with. Yeah. Um, you, you end up just descending and then you end up retiring the character. You go, I'm on three sanity. The next thing I see will send me over the edge. I, I'm going to bid you all uh, good, goodbye and I'm going to retire to the country, to my three things that I care about on my list, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's kind of how you gracefully, that, and I've seen that happen quite a lot. So the sanity and the effects of the sanity decline make it very, very difficult. So if you... If you lose a big proportion of your sanity in one game day or one kind of session, so a fifth of your remaining sanity, then you will have an ongoing mental illness that you have to kind of incorporate through your role play. And it can be quite, it can be quite tricky. And every time you lose sanity after that, you have a flashback. And so, so there's lots more to the sanity mechanic than probably I gave it justice earlier. Um, so if you think about the action and then the luck and the fatality of Call of Cthulhu and then the slow burn of the insanity, it makes it, it makes some of the mechanics really interesting and okay. gel together in nice ways. Uh, on Carl's point though, what I just thought of is because I thought it was really cool with the mythos mechanic is that that's kind of no matter how well you do, right. Just over time, you're going to lose insanity, you're, you're, right? Yeah, that's but right. How does that incorporate when you're doing just like say a zombie game that doesn't involve Cthulhu and all the other old outer gods? Like, is yeah. there still that inbuilt kind of, forced sanity uh, 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 degradation, I guess? So, so uh, I guess for a zombie episode, you wouldn't you would lose sanity, but you wouldn't gain Cthulhu Mythos because it, isn't, yeah. it hasn't got anything okay. to do with the... Yeah, if it, was a, if it was a zombie campaign, then perhaps you would want to actually put in some Cthulhu Mythos that the zombies have been, in, in, have been caused okay. because of the t- decay of Shubnugurat. You know, so that you can kind of put it into that into that perspective. So Cthulhu Mythos really is a, it's kind of like it. the best I think I've seen is about 18%. You know what I mean? Because it's, again, it's a it's a dangerous game. You, you don't tend to survive in a normal Cthulhu game. So um, it does add a cap, but it, uh, you know. Okay. So do you. So, uh, it, so it seems that, so it seems for campaigns then that you, you, you know, like we, we talked about, like using this for other things besides Cthulhu. For campaigns, yep. it seems like you always want to kind of have it linked to the Cthulhu mythos because of that mechanic. But for one shots, it, you can kind of do any horror thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. I think that's fair. Sorry, yeah. You, the, so, yeah, because the sanity still happens, whether it's zombies or whether it's the fungi from Yugoth. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. Do you yeah. question? So for you personally, uh, I am not a big Cthulhu guy. I haven't read much of it or whatever. So do you like when players come in? not knowing the mythos so that it's all discovery to them and the horror is somewhat real to them versus somebody who knows the mythos just from a, like a camp or from a, like a, 
uh, convention yeah, yeah, game or something. Yeah, how, how, yeah absolutely. This is a yeah, personal, I, I do personal. like that. And I guess, and so a lot of the games that I play are for young, uh, you know, new people have never played before at conventions, or I play for people who aren't as tragic as I am and have read all the books, you know, kind of, <laughs> you know, so, uh, so often I, yeah, I, I think it, it's very accessible and you can get the horror um, without having read the short stories of H.P. Lovecraft. I don't think you have need, you need to do it. Having said that, if you're running it, it is, I, I think it's well, you're well-versed to read short story horror fiction. I think it's, uh, it's probably not a bad thing, you know, because, to understand the pacing of it, it may, you know, you kind of, you know, I've, I've read the stuff that, um, but for players to have read it, absolutely not required, not required. So, do you ever make up your own outer gods? I mean, even if somebody is well versed, seems like it'd be cool to kind of make up your own. Call them, you know, uh, Riggy Riggy Rock, the uh, you know, the ball <laughs> rock, just un unrelenting flesh or something, and then have the uh, cultists, yeah. Absolutely. And because I live in Australia, I get to make up all Ooh. sorts of crazy crap, you know, that like, cool. so, yeah. you know, I don't, my, my mythos is not attached to North American kind of uh, cool. 17th century folk stuff, you know, it's, uh, yeah. mine is very much uh, aligned to, to European and, um, and Dreamtime kind of legends here. So nice. uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can jump into that. But I will say, look, Chaosium have these awesome compendiums of gods and monsters so um you know there is an the live the monster manuals for this game are awesome they're so horrific and deadly and weird and just so strange that um you know <laughs> it's always it's good to look at the source material too my last cool. question then uh, that, I, that i thought of at the you know last second kind of is um what about prep as far as game matchers go i know it is a narrative game right we're not making maps but what is the prep like? Can you just go into each session kind of without prep at all? Or is there always kind of you have to do a little bit of prep? Like what would you say, especially comparing to kind of other narrative games? Yeah, I, th I think you need to prep this one. Um, uh, this isn't this isn't kind of, well, I'm running a couple of encounters with a tavern in between. Yeah. You know, it, it is kind of here are clues that need to be discovered in this game. And this is how they are going to discover them. Here are some of the villains that are going to be working in the background to kind of thwart the, the, the group's progress. Um, you know, there are some key scenes that you would want to uncover there as you delve into the crypts and you stop the ritual and you do, you know, there's that kind of stuff. So preparing in a lot of ways is more like writing that one-hour television episode than, um, than okay. perhaps, you know, kind of the, the oh, uh, that's okay, I'll, I'll just go into my box of minis and pick out a few that I like and yeah. create create a game based on that yeah all right, and it's well, tricky because you know you might not get to all the scenes that you have in your mind but you kind of that's how i prepare for it anyway so i think we'll get about three or four scenes in here let's prep what what they'll discover in those scenes let's prep the the pieces of excitement and the peaks and troughs and go from there but the bulk of the material that's been written by by the official publishers and third party is a huge um library of third party stuff here the miskatonic um uh um um, library resources massive so um yeah there's there's plenty of material out there that'll guide that for you all right so we call that uh call it a night all right so uh thanks everyone for tuning in i hope you got something out of it remember to drop by masteringtherpg.com to learn more about the other projects we're working on and contact and support us please email game master at masteringtherpg.com if you have questions need some advice 
need something adjudicated, you got a disagreement in the group, we're, we're here for you. We're, we're here. Just just reach out. We're here. Um, so again, that's Game Master at MasteringTheRPG.com. If you like the show, please help us with positive reviews wherever you get your fine podcasts. And we'd love to get feedback from the show. So please, please do. Um, but once again, uh, I'm going to say thanks, James, for that beautiful yes, discussion. You, um, really awesome. appreciate that. Um, so I'll say... Uh, Once again, this is Carl with Eric and James. Say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. Spooky gaming.